Okay, thank, I guess children that are uh, in the uh, children's church can head on out. I think that's the, the plan, so if you want to do that. Wonderful to see you here. I appreciate so much the team singing. I won't take time to introduce them individually. Perhaps that will happen tonight. But I will say most of them are from the state of Wisconsin. Okay, I had to say it right there. Anybody ever from Wisconsin? Anybody from Wisconsin? Okay, nobody from Wisconsin. But anyway, most of them are from Wisconsin. Uh, but we do have one from Pennsylvania. He's from the Philadelphia area. Now, the reason I point him out is if you locked your keys in your car, he'll be glad to get them out. So, um, so that can help you out there. Got one from uh, the uh, Philadelphia area. Then we got from one from Maine. Okay, so if you need some help hunting, he can help you with that. Okay, so um, he's up from uh, that land, which is about as far away you can get in the mainland here and still be in the United States, but uh, from here anyway. So it's, uh, well anyway, it's a delight to be here. Our team travels the country and we conduct uh, this program, War Special Forces, and so we've been in several Christian schools already out west here, and we're looking forward to this week, and next week we'll be in a uh, similar size school over in Wilton, uh, California, not too far from here, by in Sacramento, and then we head to Arizona uh, for some meetings. But it's a delight to be here. We appreciate so much your leadership uh, working it out for the team to be able to be here. And I'm going to just say a brief word about the week, and then um, uh, we will go into the message. I uh, also wanted to mention, let me see, we have a, one of our team members' sister, Sophia, is, is with us uh, as well. So I, uh, she is, she's not a, coll a college graduate. I want to say that because you probably thought she just got out of the nursery. Okay, but anyway, and, so, and then, of course, my wife. I don't want to forget her because 39 years we've been together doing this, and so um, we're on our 40th year of ministry, so we're having a ball. Uh, can't wait for the next 40 years. Unbelievable. Okay, it's going to be great. But, uh, but uh, just say a word about the week. Every day we'll be in the Christian school and having a very important chapel. If you'd pray for us in the mornings, we'll be having chapel. Those are going to largely be messages geared toward young people who know the Lord, Christian life issues, and uh, that'll be every day. Uh, and then uh, in the afternoon, we'll have some competitions early in the week and just some things going on. There'll still be classes, but we'll take a little bit of time each day to do some, some, uh, uh, some of our special forces competition and different things happening. And, and I won't go into it all right now, but Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night are rally nights. And those are for the entire community. So if you're, um, if, if you're uh, a teenager, just how many uh, young people who are 6th grade to 12th grade? Can I see your hands, please? 6th grade to 12th grade? Okay. So you're, you're welcome to come. Those evening rallies are for you. And we'll be inviting area teens to go. Of course, the Christian school young people. And those will start at 6 o'clock here on the property, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Be done about 8.15. And those are gospel rallies. Now, we'll start with two major competitions. Now, this week's called War of Special Forces. And we have three teams. So the student body is going to be split into three teams. And um, uh, we've kind of done a little bit of a superhero spinoff. Every 10 years or nine years, we kind of repackage things. And uh, uh, so this uh, few years back, we thought, you know, superheroes are a big deal. And since I really don't like any of the superheroes that are out here, uh, let's go ahead and create three new ones. So we have the Incredible Rangers, the Super Seals, and the Mighty Marines, okay? Now, anybody out here who has former armed forces in your background have a prejudice toward one of those teams? Anybody at all have any inkling toward one team or another? Okay, nobody's being honest. Okay, but anyway, so um, uh, the Incredible Rangers, the Super Seals, Mighty Marines, uh, three-way contest. So if you've never seen three-way competition, you want to see it. It's intense. And we're going to, uh, we have an equipment trailer out here. It's got a bunch of equipment in it. We'll be building basketball hoops that are built for a four-foot in diameter big ball. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll compete. No, no five on five. This is going to be hopefully more like 20 on 20, 30 on 30, 40 on 40. Who knows? But it's 40 on 40 on 40. Okay, I should say it that way. Or 30 on 30 on 30. It's, it's more, uh, it's bigger competition. 
And so we're going to go in the community and invite area kids to come out Monday and Tuesday. So if you know a teenager that lives within a short distance of his church or lives here in Hollister or even Gilroy for that matter, somewhere you can drive here, you invite them to come Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 6 o'clock. Now, if you want more information, uh, you can go to our website, which young people can actually use to sign up. And it's W-A-R-S-F. That stands for War SF as Special Forces. So War SF, five letters. should remember that. It's not .com, it's .org. You say, why didn't you use .com? Because it's more expensive. Okay, but anyway, so uh, WarSF.org. And that, uh, you can sign up kids online. We usually every week get a few kids sign up online through WarSF.org. So if you know a teenager that you think, you know what, it'd be good for them to hear a gospel message. We'll start with two major events. They'll be, have a great time, have a camp-type service. There'll be some comedy routines. But at the very end every night, the last 25, 30 minutes, will be a gospel message and an invitation. So it's an opportunity to get teenagers out, pretty much ages 12 to 19. It's either high school or just right out of high school or uh, pretty much sixth grade on up. So kind of give you the, the uh, target uh, audience. And uh, if you have next-door neighbors, whatever, we will have hard copy brochures. We'll work toward maybe having those tonight with the stickers on them so they have the um, information ready to go, and you can hand those out. But we'll be in the community, of course, inviting them out as well. So that kind of gives you a little idea. And if you're a teenager and you haven't yet, and you're, if you go to the school, you'll be put on a team, okay? So tomorrow you'll find that out. But if you don't go to the school, see one of these uh, team members. They'll be glad to try to invite you to come on their team, okay? So the Incredible Rangers are the green team, the Super Seals are the blue team, and the Mighty Marines are the red team, okay? So uh, sometimes I've found girls can't remember the name, but they remember the color. Okay, so we do the colors too. Okay, well, um, let's go to Ephesians chapter number 4, if you don't mind joining me in going to Ephesians chapter number 4. And tonight we'll do a couple of special numbers. Uh, uh, normally, I, every team is different. Some teams have a lot of musical ability and some don't have that much. You just happen to get a team that's got a lot of musical ability. So they'll sing again tonight and I'll have them play their instruments tonight, at least one number where they'll play their instruments. As you notice up here, we've got a cello, cello, a couple of violins, got a bassoon, that's what that thing is on the end, and a trumpet. Okay, so um, uh, just uh, the, the, the um, instruments this team has become pretty good at. And so uh, those, uh, those are available, uh, those will be uh, here tonight if you want to hear that, uh, that particular special number. That'll be tonight. Hope you can come back tonight. We'll say a little bit more about the week. May even be able to have a PowerPoint that we'll run through to kind of give you more understanding what's going to be happening. So you can invite others and get involved yourself. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it's always good to have some folks, adults here, uh, just to help us. Uh, we need sometimes referees. And we need, uh, we'll obviously need uh, ladies serving a, a, a light refreshment, and then we'll have uh, the gospel service, and I hope we need it, uh, personal workers. And if you're not, uh, you say, I don't know if I can personal work, no problem. Sit next to one of our team members as we do the personal work and learn. Yeah, because um, uh, I, I remember uh, more than once having somebody next to me learning how to be a personal worker, and before the week is out, they're leading somebody to the Lord themselves. So that's, uh, that's certainly available as well. Well, working with teenagers, I think most of us understand there are a lot of issues today that young people struggle with. And one of my burdens leading a team like this is I want young people to get into sustained victory. And there's a lot of issues today that mess up kids. I think we all recognize a lot of the stuff that's going on out there. It's troublesome. And sometimes one generation wonders, how did we get here? Well, I want to deal with a passage of Scripture that's very helpful in recognizing how Satan gets a beachhead in our lives. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and I've asked Christian school uh, students this question uh, the last few um, 
uh, meetings particularly in last probably last few months. But I got a question for you. Anybody know what happened on June 6, 1944? June 6, 1944. Okay, not too many. But June 6, 1944 was the largest amphibious assault in the history of warfare. We call it D-Day. Now, what was the object of the Allied forces that day as they crossed the English Channel? And the answer is, the goal was real estate. You know, if they had been rebuffed, that would have been a complete, absolute failure. But even though casualties in some of the beaches were high, the goal was accomplished, and that is real estate. Now, when the Allied forces got real estate on the, uh, got a beachhead, we could say, on the coast there of France, what was their next, uh, next objective? And the answer is, more real estate. And pretty soon, guess what the Allied forces were doing? Knocking on the door of Berlin. And the war was won. The war could never have been won without real estate. When I was growing up, the chairman of the deacons of the Marquette Manor Baptist Church, where my dad served as pastor for 27 years in the Chicago area, I found out later he didn't talk about it much then. He's talked about it much more in his older years. He's still alive. He's in his mid-90s. But he was on the first wave on uh, the attack on the island of Iwo Jima. He said there were eight men in his unit. He said within minutes, they were down to two. Six had been killed. He said he and the radio man climbed up some cliffs and got out of the way so that they were in a safe place. They could not be shot at from the uh, Germans up there on the, uh, on the cliffs and things. And he said he watched the water turn red as the blood of my Marines literally in the surf that was coming in. He said it was, you know, obviously a gruesome sight. But what was the goal of the Marine Corps that day at Iwo Jima? And the answer is real estate. They wanted real estate. And once they got that real estate, and he's told me some pretty gruesome stories. He's one of the few Marines I've ever known to be able to talk, and I believe one of the reasons he talks is because he is able to have fine peace in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And he has never suffered like some people have because of his walk with the Lord. But anyway, and so he tells you, he just very matter-of-factly tells you what it was. It's extremely difficult. But, but nonetheless, what was the Marines' next goal when they got a beachhead? And the answer is more real estate. And they finally, when they finally got the full island, it became a very essential thing in the final victory on the other side of World War II with the Japanese. Now, nobody in this room is sitting here shocked with what I just said. All of us know that in warfare, one of the goals always is you got to get more real estate. Now, that's a positive example because I think most of us would be all for the United States objectives in World War II. But could I give you a negative example? When the enemy is getting real, estates, real estate in the soil of our own hearts, I got a question. How do Christians get to a place where they are almost in a perpetual defeat, just continually defeated? How, how does a Christian get to a place where he's hooked on, let's say, something like pornography? How does a Christian get to a place where he has an anger problem? Maybe he doesn't see it, but everybody else does, at least in his family. Just constantly lashing out in anger, so much so that it damages his, his children. How does that happen? How about somebody get to a, a point in their life where they're um, into financial deception, where the house begins to cave in, and here they are, are literally going to head to jail because of deceptive things that have been done under the table in the financial sector? How does a Christian get there? How does a Christian get to a point of continual defeat? And the answer is, the enemy gets 
real estate. And then he takes more real estate. And you'll never be able to see the enemy pushed out of that life until we go back where the initial real estate was gotten. Now there's a passage of scripture that tells us about this. It's stunning. If you're in Ephesians chapter number 4, I want you to look at verse number 26. And this is a message that I often preach to teenagers as well. But I sense the Lord wants me to preach it to you. Because it's, can I say this carefully, of doing ministry to teenagers for 39 years, I think the first 10, 15 years of our ministry, I kind of found it difficult to preach to adults. I kind of found them a little more intimidating. You know what I'm talking about. Can I fake? They're better fakers. You know what I'm talking about. Teenagers aren't that good. Okay, but anyway. And you know what happened about 10, 15 years in? I began to realize something about adults. You know what they are? Teenagers with wrinkles, that's what they are. Okay, the truth is, some of us have never grown up. I'm including myself in that statement. Just ask my wife. Okay, you know, the truth is, a lot of the problems adults have, or teenagers have, adults have them too. So I, I want to just go through this, because I feel like many times God's people don't know, why am I so defeated? Why, why can't I get victory over looking at stuff on the internet I ought not be looking at? Why do I have such a problem, you know, getting, you know, spouting off and, and getting angry at my kids? Why? Why? Why am I so defeated? Well, I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture that's stunning. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe Satan can get real estate in different ways than this. But this is one of the big ways Satan gets real estate in the hearts of our lives. Just look at it. It's stunning. Look what verse 26 says. It says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Here it is. Neither give place to the devil. The Greek word for place is this, T-O-P-O-S, tapos. Do you recognize that word? Because it's a part of an English word. In fact, in English, they take the word top, tapos, which is a Greek word, and they combine it with, a, ver, uh, combine it with a, uh, the, another Greek word, graphe. We get the word graphics from, and we call it what? Topography. <laughs> comes from two Greek words, and uh, both of which are found in the Greek New Testament here. Tapos is real estate. Neither give real estate to the devil is what it's saying, but the real estate here is not soil. It's not land, literally. It is the real estate of one's own heart. And God is saying there's a way that Satan gets real estate in the hearts of believers, and unbelievers for that matter, and when Satan gets real estate, he desperately wants more real estate. And he begins to attack and defeat on a regular basis. But until Satan gets that beachhead, he is almost he is really powerless to defeat that Christian on a regular basis. But what Satan does is he just gets a little bit of real estate. So the passage is stunning, and it's going to tell you how he does it. Now, hang on. It's really a great truth. And hopefully it'll, it'll open some eyes here to say, now I understand. Okay, be ye angry and sin not. That's kind of an odd verse, it seems like that, doesn't it? In fact, if I had 10 commentaries on the book of Ephesians here in the pulpit this morning, and wanted to read you the interpretation of be angry and sin not, we'd probably have five or six different explanations. It's one of those verses that commentators or inter people into, into interpretation would struggle with. They'd grapple with different ways. But I'm going to tell you what I'm convinced it is. It's, I'm going to tell you what I believe it is, and of course, because I, I wouldn't, if I, I believe it, and I think it'll make sense here, hopefully it'll be a help. Being angry is not active in voice. It's passive in voice. 
It'd be hard to translate it this way because it wouldn't make sense. It'd be harder in English. But here's what it really, the idea of what it's coming across here. Be ye being angered and sin not. It has the idea of, of this, not you making a decision to be angry. It has the idea of your being provoked to be angry. Now, I want to ask you an honest question. Anybody ever made you mad? <laughs> Some of you on the way to church got made mad. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, the truth is, friends, we all know what it is to be provoked to anger. So here's what God is saying. When you and I are provoked to anger, it's not, how do I say it? It's not your fault if you're provoked to anger. All of us know that things happen in life that we didn't have anything to do with that provoke us to anger. But here's what God said. When you're at that point, you're in a very vulnerable spot. Don't sin. And then he gives us a really, really important verse. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, friends, I'm going to just tell you this. If you get angry when somebody provokes you in anger, and you get angry, and you don't resolve it before sundown, you know what God is saying is? When you wake up the next morning, you have given tapas to the devil. That's stunning. Now, let's go back up a little bit and maybe be helped here. It says, be angry and sin not. There are a lot of things that provoke us to anger, a lot of things. But let me, if I could, please, kind of, kind of come from an angle that, that we may be not anticipating the angle to come from. But maybe we'll be a help to you. And I hope it'll be a real help to you. Um, now I'm going to ask all the men in this room to be honest. Now that's a big, that's a tall order for you men here. But I'm going to ask you to be honest, even in front of your wives. Can you do this, okay? And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Really, I'm going to ask you to play, raise your hand. Just let you, I'm going to do mine. Okay, so I'm going to be honest. If you, I'm honest, you can be honest. It's not as painful. As, well, here it is. Let's get just said. How many of you guys would admit you have at least once in your life hit your head on the cabinets? Yes, you've done it. Hit your head on. Come on, let's raise our hands. Let's be honest. Okay, be honest. Okay. Now, second question. How many of you, after you hit your head on the cabinets, the next thing you wanted to do, now you didn't do it, but the next thing you wanted to do was destroy the cabinets? Okay, raise your hand, please. Yes, okay. See, some of you weren't being honest. Okay, I got to preach on lying tonight. Okay, but I'm just teasing with you. Okay, but anyway, here, yeah, isn't that strange? You know what happens, friends, that when we uh, are inflicted with pain, we often have an angry response. Have you ever heard this phrase, hurting people hurt people? Now, be angry and sin not. There are many things that can provoke us to anger, but one of the things that really provokes people to anger is, don't miss this, pain. Now, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, you don't know me, you don't know our team, but I'm here to work with teenagers, and I'm hoping this will be a help to you in, in our efforts to rescue the next generation. But uh, in the book Pure Desire, written by Dr. Ted Roberts, a man who has counseled literally thousands of men in sexual addictions, Ted Roberts says that 70% of all men right now sitting in church in evangelical churches, 70% of all the men, now evangelical churches is broader than I'm comfortable with, but these are churches that preach the gospel. 70% of all the men right now sitting in church across this country in evangelical churches uh, are struggling with sexual addictions. That's stunning. And in his study, he basically, he's counseled thousands of men, largely with pornography, but other things as well. He says that of these men, don't miss this, he said, I've counseled thousands of men, 98%, now that's a high percentage, 98% of the men struggling with sexual addictions from churches have deep 
father wounds in their souls. Whoa. 98% of men struggling looking at Bill. Deep father wounds in their souls. Now, have you ever thought about making the connection between uh, being addicted to pornography and pain? Because it's there. Many men struggling, defeated with lust, and women as well. The statistics are out that 30% of all women sitting in evangelical churches are struggling with sexual addictions. This is an issue that is hardly being dealt with. It's a very hard issue to be dealt with. But pornography is not limited to one gender. And these are huge issues today. This is, if you work with teenagers, this is uncomfortable stuff. I'm a baby boomer. I don't like to deal with it. But it, necessity is laid upon us to have to deal with some of these tough issues today. Now, one of the things I, I believe that causes young people and adults to get into besetting sin is the fact that they've never biblically processed their pain. Now, here's the problem with pain. We live in a dysfunctional society. Now, my personal, I don't have time to give you all the stat, uh, stats or the illustrations on this, but my personal opinion is simply this, that I believe dysfunction in our homes accelerated in the 60s. And I'm going to tell you why. Sexual revolution. The sexual revolution was also called the free love of the 60s. I tell young people all the time, the free love of the 60s wasn't free and it wasn't love. I call it the expensive lust of the 60s. Now here is what sexual sin does. It causes men to be selfish. Every man is tempted. When he is drawn away of his own, anybody know the next word? Lusts and enticed. Now I believe with all my heart, sin, how do I say this? Sin comes because of selfishness, but not only does it come because of selfishness, it accelerates selfishness. So it's like this downward thing. And particularly, I believe sexual sin, how do I say this? It puts selfishness on steroids. And you know what selfishness does in a marriage? Destroys it. You know what selfishness does in a home? Destroys it. And do you know wherever there is selfishness, don't miss this, there is hurt. Selfish dads inflict pain on their kids, whether they know it or not. So do selfish moms, though I think honestly selfishness is far more prevalent in the male species than the female, though it is in the female. Yeah, selfishness is a bad deal. It inflicts pain on your spouse, pain on your kids, looks pain on a lot of people. And I believe personally, in fact, there are two shipping accidents that occurred in the 1900s that illustrate this issue of selfishness. One was the Great Titanic. We all know that one. When the Great Titanic went down, does anybody know the words that were spoken on the deck of the Titanic as it was singing? You actually do know the words. It was, you, I'll let you finish it. Men, or excuse me, women and children, next word, first. So you know it. Do you know that many men kissed their wives and daughters for the final time, put them in a lifeboat, and walked away even though there were empty seats in that lifeboat? Why? That's what men did. Men give their lives for their wives and their kids at the drop of a hat. Don't even think twice about it. And men walked away knowing they'd never see their wife and kids in this life again. Because that's what men did. They weren't going to take a seat in a lifeboat that a woman or a child could take. There were 1,500 people died in the shipping accident, the Great Titanic. 
Do you know how many of them were female? 1,300. 1,300 out of 1,500 were female. Uh, uh, excuse me, I got it backwards. 1,300 of them were men that died, and 200 were, were women. So, in other words, the men were the ones who died because they made a choice to. That was the shipping accident in uh, the early 1900s. In 1990s, there was another ship that went down, 800 passengers were lost. And if they look at the passenger list of those who died, it is overwhelmingly female. So in the early 1900s, overwhelmingly male that died. And in the, next, in the end of the 1900s, overwhelmingly female. Well, what happened in the intervening, uh, in those intervening times? And the answer is the sexual revolution. When a man looks at pornography, he becomes extremely selfish. When a man does not fight to keep his mind pure, he becomes extremely selfish. And I believe the sexual revolution has selfishized, if I could say that, uh, American culture. Now, I know this kind of sounds a little bit funny, but you remember what we used to call politicians when I was growing up? We called them public, anybody know the next word, public servants. It's almost laughable, isn't it? Don't get me wrong, there are a few of them I think that generally are trying to serve their constituents. But I look at most politicians and it seems to me they're trying to serve themselves. The rules are for thee, but not for me. I think here in the government, you have some in California or something like that, happen like that. You know, but I mean, we live in a culture where, you know, we, selfishness has become mainstream. And we all know it's unraveling us, killing us. So these are, these are the issues that we face today. Now, um, so let me just say this about something that it might be a help. Pain is one of those things that is very difficult. And in order to heal, many times, guess what happens? There has to be more pain to get less pain. Now, back when I was a kid growing up, occasionally I'd skin a knee or I'd skin an elbow. And when I did, sometimes sweat, you know, or something would come down and of course, many times it would just start to sting and it would start to hurt. And you know, as a kid, you know what I would often do with that, that skinned knee or skin elbow? I'd go to my mother. How many of you, your mother was your comforter? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'd go to my mother. And my mother was a wonderful comforter. It's funny, I love my dad, but I'd rather go to mom. I don't know what it is about moms, but mom's just got that ability. I'd go to my mom and I'd tell you what she would do. I was so grateful I went to my mom. She was so comforting. But there was one thing that I regretted going to my mom. She would reach for the medicine cabinet, and you know what she'd reach for? Something called methylate. How many remember methylate or mercuricone? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And the moment she reached for that, I regretted going to mom. Now, I can't prove this, but I think the Gestapo is the ones who came up with methylate or mercuricone for torturing people. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. She'd paint that wound. And you know what would happen when she painted that wound? It would sting. Why would my mother bring me more pain? And the answer is, so there would be less pain. One of the things I find about wounds that is so difficult is a lot of people struggle with confronting their wounds. You know why? More pain. Why would you want more pain? And the answer is, so there can be less pain. You know, many times the, ther the, the therapy or the, 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 the answer involves more pain. And um, these, this passage of Scripture is one of those passages that helps us recognize this. Now, now, don't miss this, folks. What happens is what God is simply saying is when we get, we're wronged, we have pain, we get angry, 
and we go to bed angry, and we wake up angry, and here's what God says. When you wake up angry, you have given Satan ground. And once he gets that ground, he wants more ground. And 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 people find themselves pretty soon in the throes of what the world would call addiction. And there's a spiritual side to it. There's a physiological side to it. I've definitely studied some of the brain issues and people get into addictive behavior and it is stunning what happens in the brain. I'm not minimizing the physiological side of it. I'm just simply saying there is a spiritual side to it. And the spiritual side is the enemy has ground. You say, okay, preacher, wow, that's kind of stunning stuff. Now, for time's sake, I, I'm uh, not going to be able to fully develop uh, this, but sometimes I'll take a half hour and I'll walk through the different father wounds. Because working with young people, you begin to find categories. I'll just mention them to you. I won't be able to develop them. But the angry father, the absent father, the father who left. And uh, the angry father is a father who says things that are unkind and hurtful. And, and I have talked to grown men with tears in their eyes as they remember things that were said 30 years ago that have defined their life. And I tell young people all the time, do not be defined by the angry words of your father when Satan was yanking his chain. Be defined by the words of your heavenly father that says, yea, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. See, see, some of you know what I'm talking about. You had angry fathers. And you've either worked through that or it still defines you. His words still echo in your ears and they define you. So the angry father brings wounds. The absent father brings wounds by his very absence, leaving. And um, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who said five years old, his dad left. Time his family was completely lost. No help from God because they weren't saved. They didn't know how to get help from God. And uh, he said he cried himself to sleep almost every night, hoping his dad would come home. He said from that point to the day his dad died, he said every memory of my dad coming back is negative. So sometimes his dad would come back to get something he forgot. He'd run up to him as a little, you know, elementary school age boy, throw his arm around his dad's leg, and dad would push him off. A lot of pain. He said, by the time I was 12 years old, I was medicating the pain with marijuana and alcohol. But may I say at 12 years old, he's no longer crying himself to sleep, hoping his dad will come home. Now he hates the man. He said, I gave 10 years of my life to crystal meth. You know what he was doing? Medicating the pain. Age 28, my friend said he was staying at six Oxycontins a day. That's prescription heroin. Six Oxycontins a day, his skin would crawl. And he said he'd often take multiple showers every day because of his, this, the way it affected his skin. And one day he was taking a shower, and on the steam, on the glass, he wrote the words, somebody please help me. And I will tell you, friends, his sister out of the blue called him up and said, I know something's wrong. The sister had just gotten saved, and she began to preach the gospel to him. She didn't know he was a functioning addict, and his functioning was slipping away, but uh, obviously the Spirit of God motivated her, and she called, and, and uh, whatever. And, and so uh, when he was, I think he slammed the phone down, right in the middle of the call. And you know what the next thing he did? Got on his knees and asked Jesus Christ to wash his sins away and save him. You know what his second prayer was after getting saved? God, if you take away my addictions, I will give you my life. At that point, he was free. He said, no cold turkey, no withdrawal. It was a miracle. That was probably 15 years ago. Now he's 
probably a few minutes ago, just got down out of the pulpit preaching in the state of Wisconsin. Pastors of church. It's a tattoo from here all the way to the bottom of his foot. It's a reminder of what God saved him from. You see, friends, the absent father. I could talk about the passive father or the demanding father or the, um, um, well, the father I can't think of at the moment. But anyway, I could talk about some of the other father wounds that occur in people's lives. I could talk about mother wounds. But that's not the point right now except to acknowledge that there are things that happen that provoke people to anger. They're painful and they provoke people to anger. And they, of course, let the sun go down on their wrath and they don't even realize it. So I challenge young people this, I challenge you with this. Can you think of anyone today you have resentment toward? Anybody today you blame? Yeah, this person's really messed things up. Anybody today you have anger, unresolved anger in your heart toward? Now, I'm not trying to be unkind, I'm trying to help you. You have given ground to Satan. And I can promise you from that ground, Satan is defeating you in some area of your life. You say, well, preacher, how do you get the ground back? See, it's something the Germans never were able to do. It's something the Japanese were never able to do at Iwo Jima. Something, of course, the Germans were not able to do in northern France. They weren't able to get the ground back. And as a result, they were defeated. Obviously, in a positive example, we're taking it from the negative because the enemy is the enemy of our souls. So how do you get ground back? Well, let me just give you two thoughts, and we'll be done. Uh, let's look, if you would, please, at verse number 25, right before it says, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one or of another. Now hang on, folks. Let me give you a definition of church that I think really helped me. Somebody has said this, church is where you ought to be able to hurt out loud. Can you hurt out loud? Here's the issue. You know, I found this with young people and working with them. In order for a young person to take back the ground he has given Satan by getting angry and not dealing with it and just letting it simmer, the, the way they get that back is, don't miss this, honesty. Honesty. Sometimes sitting down with a pastor or a youth pastor and saying, hey, listen, I, I, I got anger in my heart to my dad. Or I got anger toward that person. Or I got bitterness in my heart to honesty. Now, honesty is not easy. In the day in which we live, it's certainly not an easy thing. Uh, working with young men, several young men who've been hooked on the issue we've talked about, looking at things they ought not be looking at. I'm telling you, in dealing with them, I, they would all tell you, you will never get victory until you get honest with the right people. I would say to young people, 51% of the battle is just getting honest about the fact you're looking at junk you have no business looking at. It's always the first step. Always the first. It's not the only step, but it's always the first step toward victory is getting appropriately honest. And with godly people, the people who love you, people who care for you, and those kind of things. So honesty is a very important part of it all. Don't have time to fully develop every aspect of it, but that's the first uh, aspect. The second is found in verse number 32. There's other things we could see in between, but these are the two big ones. Look what it says in verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Here it is forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you. Now, forgiveness is often one of those most uh, very understood, misunderstood things, but notice what the Bible says here. You need to forgive how? Just like God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now, I want you to think about something. Has anyone ever wronged you worse than you've wronged God? So here's what God's telling each one of us, because I've had young people say, I just can't forgive. 
I just can't forgive that person. And my answer would be this. What if God had that attitude toward you? My friend, if God had that attitude toward you and had that attitude toward me, we would go to hell. You know what forgiveness is saying? Yeah, that really hurt. Man, that was tough. But that's nothing compared to what I have done to God. And he, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. The least I can do is, for Christ's sake, forgive that person that wronged me. You know, forgiveness, this friend, forgiveness is saying they don't owe me anything. And one of the pictures that Jesus gives us in the Gospels of forgiveness is debt. So let me just kind of wind it down with this. If, if you're right here this, this morning, if, if you owed me a million bucks and I forgave you the debt, go ahead and yell it out loud. How much would you owe me? And the answer is, you wouldn't owe me anything. Forgiveness is saying, God, that person wronged me. You know, when people wrong us, guess what we do? They become in debt to us. Now, they don't think of it that way, but we sure do. And you know what forgiveness does? Forgiveness says, God, they don't owe me anything. I'm hitting the delete button. I'm letting it go. And forgiveness, friends, is key. So these two things are key to getting the ground back. There's more steps, but these are the key steps to getting the ground back, getting honest with the appropriate people, usually spiritual leadership in your life. And then secondly, saying, okay, God, I'm going to get honest with you. Uh, I'm letting it go. That, if that person never comes and asks forgiveness, uh, uh, that's okay. For their sake, I hope they do, but I don't need it anymore. They're not in debt to me anymore. I'm hitting the delete button. I'm saying, God, they don't owe me anything. Just this morning, as I testified a moment ago, I watched the video of a young man who got saved on a Friday night. I mentioned this, I think, in the other room. A couple weeks ago, we were in Newport Beach, California, at a large Christian school there. And this morning, this very moment, I'm talking this very morning, just moments ago before I came in, one of the staff members there at that church sent me the video. They, for every baptismal candidate, they do a video of their testimony, uh, and it's, they show it in front of the people. It's about you know, three to five minutes long before they get baptized. And he said, this is the baptismal video that's going to be shown this morning. In fact, probably right about now, it could, or in a few minutes, this very video is going to be shown to probably, I don't know, three, four, five hundred people there in that church. And in the baptismal video, the young man talked about getting saved on Friday night at War of Special Forces, but what led to that was this. One of the team members gave a testimony of forgiveness to a father. And um, it impacted him. And you know what he said on that video? It's going to be shown this morning. He said, and I finally said, I'm forgiving my dad too. You see, friends, that's the beginning. These are tough subjects. These are things we don't like to talk about. But do we live in a society that is addicted? And the answer is, you had better believe it. And one of the reasons our society is a living in an addictive society is because we have been thrown into selfishness, and selfishness hurts people, and hurt people who don't deal with the hurt, and sin, and let the sun go down on the wrath, give real estate to the devil. And he always takes more. But hallelujah, friends. We've got a victor. You can get the real estate back. You can push the devil into the sea and live in victory once again. But you've got to do it God's way. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? You've done a wonderful job listening. I know this is, this is um, a little more challenging. I get that. The heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm just going to ask everybody to stand. Would you do that? Just stand where you are and I'll ask my daughter to go to the piano.
to stand right where you are if you're able to stand. I know it might be a physiological reason it's difficult. That's fine. You want to stay seated. But here's what I'm going to ask in a moment. In a moment, I'm going to point to my daughter and ask her to play. And friend, uh, I don't even know that we'll have a come forward invitation, but I'm going to ask this. If God has said, you know, you needed that, or there's certain that message you needed, I'm just going to invite you to sit where you are and just talk to the Lord about it. And when you're done, just join us. Heads will be bowed, eyes will be closed. We're not trying to embarrass anybody. But if you sense God speaking to your heart, and you say, you know, preacher, that was for me. Yeah, I, I had some father wounds, or I had some other wounds, and, and I had some things happen in my life that are difficult. And, you know, I don't know that I've ever processed those biblically. And I think I, I see the fact. I've given Satan ground, and, and he, has, he has attacked me off that ground. And I find myself defeated very often in certain areas of my life. And, and God's opened my eyes to it. I'm seeing it here this morning. One of the best things you can do is just get honest with God. Honesty always starts first with God. That's where God uh, begins to spiritually undertake. So the first person you get honest with is God. You just pull the mask off and say, God, I'm, I'm accepting your uh, analysis here. I'm, I'm embracing your truth. So if God's touched your heart, I just invite you to sit and do business with God. When you're done, you can stand and join us and as the piano plays. So the piano will play. God's touched your heart. Just do business with God. 